Hello and welcome everyone to this a special edition of Employment Espresso Pods. Today, in the light of it being Mental Health Week, we thought we'd have an open and honest conversation about issues pertaining to mental health and mental wellness. There have been a lot of conversations in the media uh, in the last few days and indeed weeks and months around the impact of the pandemic on mental health, in particular the number of emergency calls received. Uh, which have focused on mental health issues has hugely increased. And just over this weekend, resources in significant coverage in the press of uh, the impact of young lawyers' uh, mental health issues, uh, having worked through a year of the pandemic. So that's obviously an issue close to our heart. But today, we wanted to focus on one thing that's apparent, which is the impact on wellness that working from home has had as a result of uh, the lockdown requirements. I'm going to introduce you in a minute to Sam Brown, who is our regional head of practice for our Employment Pensions and Incentives Division. Sam and I have worked together at HSF for over 20 years and have seen firsthand the way in which the ways of working have developed over the years. But we both agree that the last year has seen the most significant jump in the shortest period of time in terms of change. Uh, we're also both members of our Ability Network Committee. Um, and I am one of the firm's mental health champions. Uh, but Sam's contribution to the area goes much more widely than that, having participated extensively in the National Mental Health Awareness Campaign, This Is Me in the City, which, among other things, involved her telling her own story and being interviewed on primetime national television a number of times. Uh, so, Sam, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. And... Um... It's in some respects, it seems funny having this discussion as we come out of the lockdown. But actually, I think now is probably the most important time to have it because um, one might sit back and think, oh, all the restraints are being lifted. We're all going to go charging back to the office and everything will be back to normal. But I don't think there is anything such thing as normal anymore. And moreover, I think we've got to be sensitive to the fact that for a lot of people, struggles will continue um, and how we lead as as leaders of our teams will be just as important going forward as it has been in the last year. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're, we're now over a year in since lockdown 1.0, and uh, I'm certainly feeling, and I, and I can see with others as well, starting to feel really now the drain. Uh, this has been going on a really very long time. So I think what we can do, though, is, is have a look back. We can reflect on the last year. We can work out where we think things have gone wrong. Uh, and we can also take some positives from what we've learned as well. So I thought we'd try and spend the next 10 minutes or so trying to reflect on some of our own personal experiences. Uh, I've certainly found that in terms of the interactions we've had with our teams, focusing on things personally and relatable, uh, in a relatable way, that certainly helps to break down some of the barriers associated with talking about issues of mental wellness. Uh, I, I just thought we'd talk about a couple of topics. First one, I thought we might have a look at um, is the expectation of the virtual office uh, and how that's changed. You know, we work in a big city law firm and so our current expectations are, are understandably high. I just wanted to ask your views on the extent to which expectations have changed when working from home. I think that's true, Tim. I think, um, you know, our, 
our clients' expectations are high, our expectations of our teams are high. Um, but I think what I've, what I've seen, and I, I should add here that I actually came back from maternity leave halfway through 2020. And so I didn't have the experience of working from home during lockdown one. But I did have the experience, I suppose, of looking at it almost as an outsider. And I think I think a couple of things happened. I think in some instances, leaders probably put greater expectations on their teams. Uh, and I don't mean that just in our organisation, I mean across the board, because there was always the excuse of, well, they've got nothing else to do. You know, everyone's at their desk, everyone's available, no one has to commute. Um, Combined with that, however, I think we saw what I heard somebody refer to as workism, which is that people who are naturally drawn to work actually were able to sort of double down during the lockdown because they didn't have the distractions of the commute. Now, that perhaps um, was at, at, at the outset satisfying to them. But I think probably what that did was was mean they had no opportunity to recharge because they were constantly on the go. And I think when you get that combination of um, either a real or perceived expectation from an outside party combined with one's own expectation of oneself, you get into a vicious cycle of of, of sort of continued working and, and not taking the opportunity to recharge and, and, um, and take a break. Um, so I think there's probably been that combination of things. Um, and I suspect that going forward, what we will have to do is break that cycle a bit. Um, yeah. and, and as I say, I think in some cases it was probably an imagined cycle. But once one gets into it, um, it doesn't matter whether whether the expectation was imagined or real, it, it becomes a, a, a real active phenomenon. And I think that is something that people are concerned about in terms of what the future holds. But I think there's a worry that the new normal will become this greater expectation of availability. Uh, we've seen lots of chat in the media about the blurring of lines, particularly the home life and work life and, you know, never being switched off. And we've seen policies introduced over the continent to deal with that more broadly, um, less so here in the UK at the moment. But what, what we're hoping is that, as you say, we can break the cycle of the expectation of presenteeism. The day has started earlier, the day has finished later, and you're always expected to be no more than two or three yards away from your laptop. And I think or, that, or to interrupt you, Tim, yeah. one, we think we are expected to be no more than two or three yards away from our laptops. Well, quite. And that's where we've got to try and address these perceptions by talking about them, frankly and openly, not just among ourselves and among our teams, but also with our clients, because our clients are sitting there as well listening to this. And they're suffering with the same struggles we are when their day starts earlier and their day finishes later. And of course, with back to back to back to back Zoom calls and team calls and the like, it's about trying to fit in some time to do to do the day job as well, which I think has been a bit of a problem. I, I think that's right. And actually, I think as leaders, we've got really quite an important role to play in that. Uh, I have said to to my team, you know, I don't really care when you work so long as you do the work now. Part of doing the work obviously means being available at times when it's convenient for other people. But if somebody, you know, particularly this was the case during winter, if somebody wanted to take a break during the day when it was daylight to go outside and have a walk or go for a run, get some vitamin D and work later in the evening or start earlier in the morning, that's fine with me. But there is some degree of 
responsibility, I think, that people have to take from managing their time and managing their availability. And if that means putting a meeting block in your diary for an hour so that you can, as you say, do the day job or get the fresh air or frankly, have a meal with your children, then I think that that is something that people need to do and they need to feel empowered to do it. And as leaders, I think we have a responsibility to show them that they can do that, A, by doing it ourselves and B, by by act, actually you know, challenging, asking people, are you recharging? Now, I fully accept that some of the ways in which we have to work at times doesn't afford that luxury, but that should be the exception rather than the rule, even if the exception runs on for some time. So let's just talk about that a little bit. You mentioned having dinner with the children. And of course, we had periods of time during which the children were at home and people were homeschooling. I think people found that as a real pinch point uh, because they were being ripped in half. Work one way, children and education uh, another way. Uh, and, and that kind of gets us to thinking around, well, we've spoken about this, the expectations of the virtual office, but what is the virtual office? Because not everybody's office is equal. Not everybody has space at home in which they can lock themselves away to concentrate on their day job. Many of our junior colleagues are in shared houses and, you know, there are three or four of them working around the same dining table at once. And the added distraction of that and people constantly being on Zoom and team calls I mean, that must add an extra degree of pressure, mustn't it? Uh, I agree. And I think sometimes those of us who have the luxury of a study or a quiet house, or, you know, in my case, I didn't have children being homeschooled, can sometimes forget that. And we're busy, you know, when we're talking now about the return to the office, we're busy saying, you know, very casually, oh, well, you know, the younger generations will want to come in because they want to be in the city to go out in the evenings. Frankly, I think a lot of them will want to come in because they, they actually want to proper working environment and that lends itself to another challenge I think for us which is that there will be some people um, who have a comfortable home office or who perhaps live further away from the physical office who are less keen to come back in so much when things relax but actually you know to lead our teams actively I think we're going to need to adjust to um, you know to reflect the fact that perhaps we do need to be in with our more junior people and that that actually there is something about you know being led by other people's needs um which will be an important part i think of of continuing to develop solid teams but do you think as leaders we don't pay enough attention to our own mental well-being yes and i think there's a there's a way in which we need to do that one one of the things i think and you you picked up on this at the beginning one of the i think benefits coming out of this last experience has been and perhaps this is because we see so much more into each other's lives but I think there have been some boundaries broken down some hierarchies have been deconstructed and in many respects we all talk to each other much more like human beings rather than necessarily a very strict hierarchical um, team member to boss type relationship yeah. and that has an advantage um, but there's research that shows, and I heard this from INSEAD, there's research that shows that people tend to look to their bosses to provide them with support as the platform to offload to, et cetera. And that's fine, it works up the chain. And I think it is right for us to demonstrate to our teams that we are effectively all in this together. But I think, particularly when feeling really pinched, the tendency is to say, oh yeah, you know, I've, yeah, I'm fed up, I'm done with this as well. 
And that's not good leadership, I don't think. I think the better leadership is to say, yes, I agree this is really difficult. We're all experiencing something difficult together. But we then need to find our place to offload. And I think that has to be amongst our peers. I don't think it can be to our teams. Um, you know, it might be to one or two friends, but it, to, to be a leader, we need to be seen to be the people that, that have the courage to lead out of chaos, not the people that are struggling in the chaos with our teams. Um, and that is hard because, you know, our peers are all busy, but I do think it is right. We need to find the platform. We need to find somewhere um, because otherwise there's no outlet. It's like a kettle. And I think that is, I think that's different to a point that I want to come on to now, which is being open and honest about struggles uh, with mental well-being. Um, in particular, I mean, all of us will have experienced difficulties with mental health uh, at some time in our lives, either personally or through family members or friends. So we all can understand and extend a degree of empathy. The game changer, as far as I'm concerned was exactly this time last year in Mental Health Week when we took the time in the team to set up a specific session to talk about issues of mental health to try and debunk some of the myths. And the way in which we did that was we were open and honest with each other and we shared details of our own personal experiences. And it was quite emotional, to be honest. Uh, and, and in some respects, it felt like there was a lifting of uh, burden on one's shoulders, but in other respects, it's making you talk about things and relive them uh, and concerns that you have. Uh, I think that was probably the most useful session that we had that broke down barriers that enabled us to then see each other more as friends uh, and, and humans than just colleagues. And that then opened the door to some of the things that I think have been the positives to have come out of this. The team sessions, the regular team sessions, twice a week, whereby we don't just talk about work. We talk about what we've been up to, what we've cooked that week, what we're planning to do in the garden. You know, even when none of us were going out to uh, restaurants and pubs and because it was all locked down, we always found something interesting to talk about or a book that we've read that somebody might find of interest. And that's when you start to break down those barriers and you feel more able to be open and honest about struggles you've had. And I know that members of our team have felt that they've been able to have those conversations more freely because we have put it out there ourselves to say, it's okay to talk about this. It's not just okay to talk about this, it's right to talk about this. Uh, that was my experience entirely, Tim. And I, you know, and I've been asked in the past, why, why, why were you prepared to be so open about your experiences? I think there are two things coming out of it. One has been that, um, it has enabled me to be more human and people to see me as being more human. And consequently, my work relationships have uh, and relationships with clients have moved to a totally different level. And secondly, actually, I found it emp empowering. It's actually, in my, my experience, very empowering to say, I've struggled with this or I've struggled with that. But actually, now, look, I own it. It's not owning me. I own it. Um, and And... You know, I found that to some extent in the last year as well. You know, I can say to, to somebody, I've, I've struggled with actually with not being in the office and having, you know, engaging with people and actually being able to put a name to it and realising, well, actually what I need is engagement has helped me to, for example, engage when I'm on my, my team calls or to think, actually, I'm just going to phone somebody for a quick coffee, you know, a cup of tea and a piece of shortbread with Tim. 
Um, Which I thoroughly enjoyed, by the way. Thank you for sending that through. <laughs> to, to, because I've realised that that's, that's, what I, that's what I need. And I think owning your wellness um, and creating an environment where our teams can own it for themselves is, is so important. Um, and look, you know, from a professional perspective, I think we engender a much stronger team and a much more loyal team. And that's the kind of environment I personally and I know you want to work in. Absolutely. So, so what are we going to do to try and to try and maintain some of these positives? Let's look at the positives now. Some of the things that we've been able to do that we would never have been able to do, but for lockdowns, some of the connections that we've made, some of the honesty that we've engendered in our relationships. How are we going to keep hold of that as and when we return to the office, even if that's on a hybrid basis? Well, one of the things I know you've done in your team and we've done in ours is the regular team catch-ups, even if they're only 10 or 15 minutes. Now, we never did that when we were in the office. Sure, we all saw each other during the day, but we never actually sat down just to have a chat. We'd sit down for a know-how meeting or a business development meeting, but not just to chew the fat. And I'm quite keen that we find some way of doing that on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and it needn't be intrusive. It can be quick, but I think it's it's important for everybody to see everybody. Um, and also for us to prioritise that, um, because there can be a tendency to say, oh, well, we're all back to normal. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, and I think one of the challenges with that, and you've used the word hybrid, will be the, the hybrid working that that we will most likely have going forward because trying to create a team environment when perhaps some people are in the office and some people are remote will be more difficult than when we're all in we're all in the same boat and I don't know what the answer to that is but I'm I'm live to it um so that for me I think will be one of the big issues what, what about you well I, I agree with that and I think we've managed to take some great steps forward you know we prejudged what it meant to work from home I did particularly uh, we prejudged the fact that it wouldn't be productive and, and, and we were wrong, frankly. Um, the technology is sort of there. We do our best. And, you know, who, who had video calls before lockdown? I mean, I certainly didn't. I would always be on a, a phone in conference call. And, you know, again, that's helped break down barriers with, with clients. They've seen into my dining room. I've seen into their office. You know, we're both in cities. You know, that I think helps build relationships. And I think that will continue. Um, I think we do have to make sure that it's not out of sight, out of mind. And I do think we have to make sure that there is no pressure on people to attend the office on a day that they don't want to attend the office, unless there's a very good reason to. So we need to make sure we remove the barriers. So if we happen to have one of our team catch-ups, one of our socials, we do prioritize it. We treat it as a client meeting and we make sure the technology is there to support so that people can dial into that, uh, you know, visually as well as uh, on an audio basis as well. So I think that those those things can be done. Uh, Agreed. And I, I would also like, well, certainly what I'm going to try and do is when I come into the office is prioritise being there, as it were, as opposed to coming in and then being on calls or meetings all day just from my office. I might, frankly, might as well do that at home because I'm not of benefit to anybody from the office. What, yeah. what I need to do when I'm there is, is actually be there and be present and be engaged. Uh, and I think that that will be very important. And it will require some active you know organization on our parts and not to be lazy and fall back into old habits um, so again it comes down to prioritizing that 
you know, uh, on equal terms to other work that we do. It's part of our job to make sure that there's that coherence and support throughout the team. That we're running short of time. It's a shame because I could talk about this for a long time. I've enjoyed talking to you about it, Sam. But just as we close, I'm going to ask you a question. What have you learned about yourself over the last 12 months? What have you learned, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing, and something that's perhaps made you change? Uh, can I have two answers? Yeah, or I'll have them off as one. I, when, when I first came back from maternity leave and realised I was going to be working from home, I thought that was absolutely wonderful. What I've actually realised, though, is that I really need to be around people. Not all the time, but definitely a chunk of the time. Um, and it's not because I'm lonely. It's actually because I find it inspiring to be with other people. So, so that's a first for me. So in that respect, I'm chomping at the bit to get some days back in the office. Um, and the, But the other thing I've learned is that, and of course, I've stepped into this regional head role while we've been working remotely. And I've been giving some thought to, well, you know, what 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 should my voice be as a leader? How, how do I want to sort of lead in this respect? And I, I've, I think, realised that I can do that in in quite an informal way um, and, and adopt an informal tone, sort of leadership tone. And, and by that, I mean um, the point we were talking about around collegiality and sort of everyone being in it together. Um, I, don't, I don't want to actively be seen to be trying to lead from the front. I want to be leading from within our team. Um, and I think that's something I've learned from you know, the very fact that we have all suffered this together. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think those are my two things. You? Can I put it back to you? Yeah, of course. I mean, actually, it's interesting you talk about the tone thing, because the, the one thing I think I've realised is the, the reliance that we have on social cues, uh, body language and micro expressions and that sort of thing is, is lost over the video calls. And so uh, actually what I've noticed is, particularly if you're feeling a little bit stressed that day or there's some emotional burden on your shoulders, Something maybe over email or or in a call that can come across as a bit abrupt or to the point. And I'm 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 very abrupt. I am to the point. That's my style. But I do have to sometimes check myself and think, actually, say good morning first, rather than just answering the question. Actually, could that be misinterpreted as me not being happy rather than me being perfectly happy? Should I reword that? And I have caught myself several times because I felt myself on the other side of it when I've received something that feels a bit abrupt or ungrateful or unnecessary, it actually impacts your mental well-being. So just pause, see it through the other person's eyes and think, do you want them to, to, to leave feeling that way? That's what I've taken away. Good point. So I think we've reached the end of our time. It's probably been our longest um, espresso pod because it's such an important topic. Um, it's probably a Vente triple shot vanilla syrup or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's really important. I, I'd encourage the listeners to actually just to reflect and think about some of the struggles that they're facing and perhaps talk to other people about them. But, but most of all, if there's something you can do to make somebody else feel a bit better, then try and take the time to do it. Okay, that's it for us. Thanks very much for joining us, Sam, and uh, we'll talk to you all next time.